This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch with Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lessard joining me from Vidyard. And today we're going to talk about content marketing as always, but we're going to talk about the different ways content can be used. And I think many of us often get stuck in using content in one spot because we thought about writing that piece of content to live in a certain location, but we don't necessarily think about how it's going to be used throughout our organization or throughout the buyer journey. And our guest today, who Tyler's going to tell you all about, is going to dig really deep with us into understanding how we can leverage our content. Well, I'm uh, super excited to have Matt Wesson with us here today, the Director of Content and Creative at Sales Loft. So I've known Matt for uh, a little while now, and one of the things that uh, I really liked in digging into his background and why I think he's got a great perspective on this is, Matt, you've done creative design. You've been an account executive on the sales side. You've done content marketing, and you sort of have an expanded role within creative. And I think you know those sorts of things give you a great perspective across the potential of content to not only be works of art and, you know, great storytelling mediums, but also be used all the way through the buying journey right into the sales process. Um, so we're going to try to focus on some of those topics here today and get your perspective. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe just uh, introduce yourself and the, the little bit of background on, on where you're coming from. Sure. And thanks for having me. Um, so as you said, uh, my, my background's pretty diverse. Um, so I started uh, as most recent graduates do in a uh, in an entry level sales role, and realized pretty fast that that uh, that wasn't for me. Um, so I was in Atlanta at the time and started looking for uh, other opportunities in tech, and that was right when Pardot was coming up. Um, so I jumped on Pardot right around the same time that content marketing was first becoming a thing. Like it was, uh, I think, early two thousand eight. Um, so it was starting to become a, a phrase that was tossed around, but it was one of those, it was still in that stage where everybody was talking about it and nobody knew how to do it. Right. So worked worked at Pardot for about a year and a half, kind of building the content team, the content strategy there. And then when we got acquired by Salesforce, um, it was actually perfect timing because they were, Salesforce was transitioning out of really that first wave of content marketing. They had a ton of thought leaders that were publishing, you know, a blog post a week and speaking in all these different places, um, but hadn't yet taken that next step into like figuring out how content marketing is going to generate leads, let alone how to tie content marketing to revenue. 
So it wound up being the perfect time for me to kind of uh, shift gears into uh, the much larger organization. Um, so I moved to San Francisco, spent a few years building the content team at Salesforce, um, and then just recently got a, got a little homesick for, for the startup life <laughs> and building teams again, uh, so made a transition to Sales Loft uh, back in Atlanta. So let me jump back to that beginning because I'm a firm believer that to understand where we need to go in the future, you have to understand the past and, and really kind of how sure. things evolved. And you were at that interesting nexus in those early years at Pardot of that evolution of content marketing, you know, likely both as a marketer, but also being in the industry um, as, a, as a provider of technology that helped to empower it. So I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, what was the real impetus for the growth of content marketing? What, what was the original intent and, and why did it come to be, you know, what is now, I think, a very important pillar of, of every marketing program? Sure. And I, I think it's it's kind of a testament to like how how much content has grown that it seems odd to remember a time that it wasn't around. Yeah. But I think prior to that, it was it was kind of the dark ages of like you marketed in the way that got the most sales period, like hard stop. Like that was all that really mattered. It didn't really matter like how those leads were coming in, how honest your marketing was, or even the value that you were providing customers. And I think uh, I would imagine if you looked at the data across a lot of tech companies, the churn rates and customer satisfaction were all abysmal prior to content becoming a thing. And I think um, content kind of, grew out of that need to actually provide a lot more value to customers and build a lot more of a relationship. And it's interesting now that like it got defined as content marketing. I think the second you put a label on it, you kind of put restrictions on it. But content marketing was really, in my opinion, that first foray into like trying to get a complete view of the customer journey and figure out how to provide the most value to customers along the way. And I think it's it's evolved to uh, to include a lot more than just the marketing department. But I think that focus on the customer and that focus on providing value is where it came out of. Yeah, you know, in reflecting on it, and I was doing a bit of this before the podcast, um, you know, I, I recognized how substantially the buying journey has changed. And all of us as marketers talk about this, the buyer's journey and, and how things have changed in the last 10 years. But if you really think about it, you know, how buyers interact with a brand um, has substantially changed over that time. And, and it's more and more about self-education. And they are, you know, they're online, they're devouring information and, and resources prior to ever calling a sales rep or requesting a demo. Um, and to me, I think that's been a huge impetus to, to why content marketing is now so important because you need to get ahead of that buying process to um, get your brand, to get your information in front of those audiences who aren't yet looking to buy a solution. They're looking to understand the, the problems and, and how they can solve them. Um, and I think to your point, there's a huge need to be able to deliver value at that stage. And, and, and Randy, maybe I'll, I'll flip it over to you for your perspective there, because you live in this world day in and day out. And, uh, you know, is that kind of what you, has driven this rise and, and what we need to be mindful of in the future? Or, you know, are there other legs to that stool? Yeah, well, you know, Matt, Matt wrote a great article recently, and I know we'll get to talking about it, but I, I think he's hit on, on what's starting to happen, which is really exciting, which is people are thinking about how do I leverage this content at different stages of the buyer journey? But it wasn't always that way. I mean, I, I remember even when we were starting our company here at Uberflip, it's probably about five years ago, and we had just launched kind of like our MVP, and there's, there's another marketer 
who's a great content marketer by the name of Joe Chernoff. You guys probably both know Joe. Um, and <laughs> Joe was speaking, I think, at, at like Content Marketing World or something of the sort. And we made his list of like the top 10 upcoming tools. But when he got up there, he, he framed us as the future resource center, right? And I, and I remember my, my co-founder and I, like we, we saw this thing Part of us was really happy and then we're like, oh, that's so boring. That's such like a point solution. That's not what content's for. It's not just for the resource center. It's like, you know, like don't pigeon us. And I, I had a good relationship with Joe and I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, come on. Like, that is not what we are. And he's like, no, but that's the problem people have now. People are creating content. They're figuring out where to put it. They need to organize it. You guys are going to make that great. And we're like, no, we want to do so much more. But people weren't ready, Right. I think that's changing. I, I don't know if, if you've seen that, Matt. Like you, you, you mentioned you've been doing this even longer than we, we've been in business. But I, I think it's changing, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I think even even for somebody like Joe, who's been in content marketing since the very beginning, I think there's always that impulse to try and put a box around things. Like I think I think that's the way that organizations work, right? Like marketing VPs. <laughs> as I'm talking to two, two high-level marketing VPs, sorry, like to like to define the boundaries on their team, you know? And I think, uh, I think it was very easy to just say like, oh, content marketing, it does this. You know, like you need a resource center, you need eBooks, you need blog posts. And I think uh, that worked really well for a long time. But I think people, people are starting to realize that the real value of content goes way beyond just resources. You know, I think it's a very simplified way to think about the need that it's addressing to just say like, oh, hey, we're providing resources to the customer that provide value and it's located here. I think like the, the real value of a content team is like those creative solutions that they're designed to develop for customers, those can be extended throughout the entire organization and they should be. Like everybody within a company, except maybe developers and probably for a reason, are interacting with customers at some point, you know? And the influence of content teams, a lot of times I see is still limited to that top of funnel area. And I think that's kind of uh, doing a disservice to not only content, but the entire organization. So I think we're slowly starting to see that view of content as just, you know, top of funnel resources starting to expand as people recognize that that value that a content team can provide goes way, way, way beyond just top of funnel. Yeah, I, I love how you called it that box that, that marketers sometimes put in. It's funny, I, this is maybe about six months ago, I was in a the office of, of a Fortune 100 company um, and you know, a pretty senior member of their marketing team. And they were describing how they were going to invest to now have not just a social team, but a content marketing team. And then they're also going to have their demand gen team. And then they're all, you know, and they're going to invest in these different disciplines. And, and, and they were saying it as a very positive thing, which it was. But mm. on the flip side, I was like, yeah, but like that's not how you have to think about it. Like everyone just has to work together, right? And and I literally got up on a whiteboard in the room and I drew like an A on the far left and a B on the far right. And like the idea is how do you get people from A to B and what of content and social and all these other disciplines are you going to sprinkle along that path, right? And I, and I think you've done a, a great job like – you know, in, in some of the visualizations I've seen you do, Matt, that, that show that in a very similar way. Sure. And I think, 
it's, I mean, the, the part that interests me most about this expanding role of content is, is just that, those interactions that take place when you break down those boxes. So I think, uh, like, since, you know, we're on a podcast and we're, we're external, I would say it's great for the customer, like, it's 100% for the customer's benefit. But if I'm being really honest, like, it's also really fun as a marketer um, and for the entire company, really, when you break down those those barriers that you put up artificially, because I think the more ideas that you get in a room, like the more diverse set of experiences, the more connections you're able to make, the more creativity and the best like the best solution will come out of those more diverse meetings and uh, like more diverse group of ideas. So I think breaking down those those boundaries is great for the customer, but it's also it makes marketing a lot more fun. So like it, it's this is making a lot of sense to Tyler. It's making a lot of sense to me, you know, because we're living this every day. We we have a number of different types of marketers who join this podcast. So mm. maybe you can help us start with just a very basic question about using content at different stages. When you're thinking about it from that perspective, do you think, okay, let's create one asset and use it at every stage, or let's create content for different stages? I think it, it obviously depends on on the situation. I think every company is going to be a little bit different. And I mean, if you have a shorter sales cycle, I'm sure your ability to extend a certain asset deeper into the funnel is a lot higher than a more complex uh, sales cycle. But I think in software in general, it's usually, in my experience, a mistake to try and fit one asset across the entire sales cycle because those needs are different, right? So I think breaking it down by those different stages and then working really closely with the sales team, you'll start to assess like a very different set of needs that you didn't really know were there. I think it's super easy to say like, oh, hey, we've got an ebook that ties, you know, such and such a feature to such and such a problem. Let's just keep spamming that out throughout the sales cycle. And I think that's kind of where content marketing was maybe five, six years ago. And nowadays you're starting to see a change where like the customer wants an ebook when they're learning about your company, when they want to learn a feature set, you know, they probably want to see a video an in-depth demo with the sales team. And I think before they were getting that in some way, shape or form, but now that content's involved in it, they're getting it in a way that they can more easily understand. They're getting it in a way that's more attractive. They're getting it in a way that's better positioned. So I think uh, the, the role of content to me is to produce a lot of diverse assets. I think if you're just producing one and trying to extend it through the sales cycle, you're probably still providing value to the, to the audience, um, but you're probably uh, falling pretty short of where a content team could be delivering value to a company. That makes a lot of sense. It would be great to dig a little deeper next on like how you're structuring your team to go about that. Like, you know, are, are you creating content in different groups or what have you? Before we do that, we're going to throw our own call to action in here. A couple of our sponsors you'll hear from and we'll be right back with Matt Wesson on Content Pros. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. 
Welcome back to Content Pros. We're here with Matt Wesson. And Matt, I want to pick up on something you talked about and uh, start to extend this through into what it means to produce content throughout the whole sales cycle and how that's influencing the kinds of people and the kinds of uh, resources that, that companies need these days. So one of the things from my perspective, I used to think about the content marketing as kind of the marketer that never sleeps. Right? You can produce great content that's out there all the time, generating interest and bringing people in um, 24 hours a day. And then I started to think about it actually as the sales rep that never sleeps. And you know, thinking about, well, content has to evolve to be a more integrated part of that sales cycle. And it has to create conversation um, you know, because of the way buyers' journeys are changing. But equally important to me in my world is I need to create content that's creating more of a personal and emotional connection. Uh, with those audiences, because if they don't, you know, feel interested and and, and stimulated from what you're producing, um, they're not going to feel a sense of urgency to act, right? It's the, it's the old sales world, right? You create a personal and emotional connection, and and people sure. are more likely to respond and want to engage. So, assuming you agree with that, um, and if you don't, please chime in. Uh, but I'd love to hear your perspective on on how does that influence the kinds of content we need to be thinking about throughout that buyer's journey. And you know, not only the type of content, but the formats. And you know, is it, is it interactive or not? Is it you know, is it visual? Is it text-based? You know, how do you think about that, and how does that influence the resources you need? Sure. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a marketer these days that doesn't agree that more personal is more effective. Uh, that's certainly been been my experience. Uh, but I think when we when we assess what needs to be produced, especially in regards to personalization, I think it's it's always a cost-benefit analysis of us. So I think most marketing organizations have uh, some sort of account-based initiative. And in that case, you're going after much larger, much higher value accounts. And I think at that stage, the, the cost-benefit of uh, like the work you want to put in versus what you're getting out, it's worth your time to spend, you know, uh, to produce custom assets across the board for, for an account like that. So when we have a, a top tier account, we go, we go really into the weeds with how much we personalize it. So we use Vidyard to do like custom personalized videos. We produce landing pages. We produce sales decks. We produce all of these custom assets that get delivered to target accounts. So I think that's kind of the high end of the spectrum um, in terms of personalization and assets that are produced. And I think that depends on, you know, the company where that where that value line is. But I think in my experience, anytime you have named accounts, that usually means they're high value enough that you need to go uh, and deliver like the uh, the uh, full suite of, of content assets that you could create. So tracking back from there, I think personalization should be at the forefront of pretty much every asset you produce. It just gets a little bit more distanced from mm -hmm. a particular audience member or user. So I think yep. pairing it back from there, you're going to look at different personas. I think personas get a bad rap, but personas are personalization. They're just personalization at a scale that's a lot more manageable. So it's really unmanageable for us to you know, take 5,000 accounts and do personalized eBooks, but it's super manageable for us to produce five different eBooks targeted to our five key personas. Right. And I think the, the cost benefit analysis of that, you know, obviously it's usually going to be lower value accounts that are looking for, 
for those eBooks. So it, it warrants slightly less personalization, but we still put that effort in to make sure that whatever they're getting, they can look at it and say, oh yeah, that's absolutely relevant to me. I think right. like my worst nightmare is to have a customer or a prospect look at a piece of content and not get value from it. Like I think we've all been in that in that scenario where you you get suckered in by clickbait or you get suckered in by like the pretty cover of an ebook and you open it up and it's in no way relevant or the quality's low. Yeah. You usually never never go back to those companies. And I think avoiding that is all about making sure that the assets you're delivering are personalized. So what about the angle of, um, and I'm going to play off of personalization, and there, there's personalization with respect to really tailoring the content. But the other side that, that really fascinates me right now is just creating content in general that's more personal and human, that is a, a has a greater chance of connecting with somebody on a, on a more kind of human level. Um, and, and I'll hearken back to one of our most successful content campaigns last year was a holiday video that we did. And it had nothing to do with our products. Um, it had nothing to do, you know, specifically with a problem. Um, but we produced a fun, you know, uh, happy holidays greeting video that we just, we had a lot of fun with, right? We, it was creative. It was interesting. We did some of that personalized video that you mentioned. And um, the response to it was outstanding. Like not only the number of people who engaged in it, but it actually led to a huge amount of pipeline because those people who responded engaged in a conversation. And next thing you know, they were talking to a sales rep about, you know, what we were doing. Um, and that's. I, I think it's because you look so good in your outfit, Tyler. Well, you know <laughs> I what? Think, I, I think that's all. What I do. Like, make, I do. Everyone's got, everyone wants this piece of content right now. I do make a good help. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that. Um, but but that stuff is I, I think really interesting right now. And and Randy, you guys do a great job of this as well. I get a lot of content from you guys, and it's not you know the same old written ebook. It's a great variety of content that you know it's got humans in it. Some of it's video, some of it's interactive, some of it's infographics, and and that stuff just to me generates a more human and visceral response. That sales reps are always used to trying to do. I, I would absolutely agree with you, and it's it's perfect that you reference your holiday video as the example for that because somebody recently asked me about this yesterday and your holiday video from Vidyard was the example that I used. <laughs> uh, it was like, it was something that a few people on our marketing team, like we just happened to be on uh, a list of customers that got it. Um, the second that email came to our inbox, we were sharing it and we were extending like the Vidyard brand to different aspects of sales loft that had never seen it before. And we were having conversations with, you know, customer support reps that we've been ignoring, just saying like, this is amazing. You guys are awesome. And I think like, that's to me, the most fun part of, of content is finding those pieces that really get people excited and get that visceral reaction. And I think personalization is a huge part of it. So Vidyard's like an amazing platform for personalizing videos. And I think like we've seen that just putting somebody's name in a video, engagement rates go up 30, 40%. And you can actually see like the where they go and they rewatch it to say like wait 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 right. was that was that me? And to see that engagement spike and then to see that translate into um, like them reaching out or them having a conversation they wouldn't otherwise have, I think is like the best of both worlds in my mind because you're getting that business you're getting the business result that you are ultimately going for, but it's also just fun to produce assets like that. Yeah. Like I told my team when we first shifted to account base that it's not it's not something that's scary. Like I love Christmas, not because I like getting presents, but because I like to give really personalized presents 
and see the look on my family's face when they open it. And that's all that account-based and like extreme personalization really is at the marketing level is being able to give somebody a really kick-ass gift that's going to blow their mind. So to be able to do that as a career, like I think that's like the best possible shift for content marketers. I think people are, are a little nervous about putting that level of personalization in, but they absolutely shouldn't be. I think with Uberflip and Vidyard and a whole host of other tools, it's so easy to do at this point. And the value of it is just like, I'll, I'll, I can talk for days about how much I advocate for personalizing. Matt, maybe you can give us an example. I, I mean, I'm sure Tyler and I both appreciate that call out, but outside of technology, like what are, what are maybe some of the more creative ideas? Because I, I, I think that's one of the, the strengths you have is creativity that you've been able to pull into an account-based marketing strategy, right? Because like some people listening may be saying, okay, like I, I need to do something that's really going to stand out before I can get budget for a tool or something of the sort. Sure. And I mean, I think that's, that's one of the best parts about content is it's not really restricted by budget necessarily or tools. I think as long as you're willing to think outside the box and you've got a few hours to dedicate towards a certain initiative, like you can do really good content marketing. And I've seen some incredible uh, pieces of direct mail and really like outside the box campaigns that have definitely resonated with us and with our customers. And we've seen them talking about, and I think it, it all comes down to just learning about your customer. So we had a, uh, we had somebody that sent us uh, at SalesLoft like a tiny little a tiny little Porsche because our CEO uh, bought a Porsche when he finally had enough money. It was his lifelong dream, and he posts about it on social. Here, like a few times, they sent us like a tiny little RC Porsche with like a cute little note about helping us continue to grow as a company. And this was a while back when we were still still growing, still pretty small. But just the fact that they put the, the time and effort into, you know, looking at not only our social feeds, but our CEO social feeds, I think really stuck out to us. And it's something that's so easy to do. It's the upside of the social media world, right? Everybody's putting everything out there all the time. So your ability to research customers and figure out what matters to them to find those angles, uh, it's much easier to do now than it's ever been. So who do you hire and what kind of resources do you need to execute on this? Because we're talking about the modern content marketer not being just a blog writer, right? As a lot of people have thought about them in the past or somebody who writes eBooks, right? Because we're talking about videos. We're talking about being creative enough to think about, hey, a, a tiny little Porsche is actually a piece of content that I could leverage in an outbound campaign to somebody. And I love the fact that we're talking about these in the context of content marketing, because I think it's exactly where it needs to go. And, and those are the folks that are creative enough and are used to sort of putting themselves in the customer's shoes and going, you know, what would really, you know, stimulate a response or get them excited or interested in how could I deliver value? Um, so, so I'm, I'm curious. Like, yeah, how do you how do you staff for this? How do you get people who can think in this way and and bring a new edge to content marketing? Sure, and I, I think you you unknowingly brought up one of the most interesting points about hiring for a team like this, and it's that it's a two way street. So you can hire the most talented person in the world, and if you as a manager don't have the right mindset to be open to these things and to recognize the value, it's not going to work out. Like one of my one of my favorite stories is that uh, Paul McCartney and George Harrison shared the same grade school music teacher, 
which is cool in and of itself. But that music teacher gave them both a D because they didn't fit the traditional view of what a musician should uh, or could be. And I think that's kind of what I see happen across uh, marketing teams that I talk to is there's somebody who's super talented and they're itching to get outside the box, but they have a manager who's not necessarily willing or comfortable with trying out a new initiative. You know, it's much easier to allocate spend to banner ads if that's what you know versus sending a Porsche that may or may not, a little RC Porsche that may or may not get a response. So I think the first side of it is definitely uh, looking at yourself as a manager and figuring out, you know, like, am I open to this? Am I creating an environment that's breeding the best ideas? So I think that's one half of it. And I think the other is that it's really not hard to hire for a skilled content marketer. I think in creative roles, there's uh, more of a chance to actually see the work than any other role that you'd be hiring for. So I think traditionally, you know, you get a resume and from that resume, you'd try and deduce like, oh man, could this person do what I need them to do? But I think content's great in the sense that like, you can just ask them, like if their portfolio doesn't at, like answer the questions that you have, I think it's totally with within the realm of possibility to say, hey, can you write a blog post in, you know, X, Y, and Z style on such and such a topic? Or if you're hiring a designer, like, hey, can you show me what an infographic would look like for our company? So I think people tend to rush into um, hiring those creative roles because they're not familiar with, you know, what what assets or what skills really make uh, somebody great in those roles. But I think regardless of, you know, your role or your creative expertise, like, you know, what's going to resonate with an audience and you know what skills you can bring. So taking it slower and making sure that the people you're hiring can actually deliver on those goals that you have. I think that's the, that's the key to hiring a team that's going to be able to sustain uh, a high level of creativity over a long period of time. That's, that's great advice, Matt. I mean, it's, it's interesting here at Uberflip, we just brought on our first full-time ABM marketer, right? So we had people kind of helping out with it, but decided to hire our first-time person. And we ended up, you know, we, we posted the job publicly, but we ended up hiring internally. And we, we ended up promoting one of our senior BDRs, right? They, they had been on the front lines. They understood what was working, what was not working from a content perspective, from a copy perspective, from the creative ideas of what we were sending out. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, sometimes you, you got, as you said, look, outside of the traditional definition of, say, a marketer, right? Um, you know, we've heard so many people who have come on to this podcast who started their their careers in journalism or, you know, other areas and, and made that shift. So I think, you, you know, you got to kind of remain open from that perspective. And, you know, just a funny side story, you know, talking about these creative ideas. I came in like at, you know, 7.30 one morning and on my desk, there was this like really cryptic, box, you know, that looked kind of scary. And, <laughs> and I think I just read about like some terrible thing that had happened with like an employee, like somewhere like else. And I'm like, Oh my God, like is someone going to kill me. Like, yeah, you know, paranoia <laughs> took over right away. Sure enough, it was this internal candidate trying to like show an ABM campaign, you know, landing on my desk. So it, it was not a bomb, but, uh, you know, definitely creative approach. Anyways, uh, 
we, we got a couple of minutes just to wrap up here and, and we always like to get to know a little bit about our guests. Um, you know, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about, you know, where people can find you outside of work, like, you know, from a social perspective, what's your kind of, uh, you know, outlet of choice? Are you, are you wanting to post on Instagram? Are you more on LinkedIn? Where, where do people find, you know, the, the real you? I think Medium is probably the best uh, the best place to find me. So Matt B. Wesson on Medium, um, and then I share pretty often on Twitter. I think it's I, – I had the benefit when I worked at Pardot of being able to market to marketers, which meant that the Pardot blog was often my creative outlet. Um, but now that I've expanded that target audience, it's uh, I was lacking a place to, to try and convey my ideas to other marketers, so moved it all – Moved it all to Medium, tend to post uh, once or twice a week on there, just random ideas, thoughts on where the industry is headed. Um, but I keep that pretty updated. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and the, the post that we had talked about earlier, the, the content marketing 2.0, I think I, I found on there myself. So definitely some great, great stuff from you there. So what about outside of like, you know, the stuff that you're passionate about? How do you relax? You know, maybe give us an idea of what you're watching right now on Netflix. Uh, I actually, I watch all the old stuff on Netflix. Like there's something about the office that <laughs> will never get, never get old to me. So an episode of the office at the end of the day is probably, uh, probably one of my favorite things. Um, but I'm, I'm based out of, out of Boulder and I generally tend to fill most of the Boulder stereotypes. So if I'm not, uh, training for a marathon, I'm definitely at a craft brewery somewhere. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, Matt, uh, you, me, and Tyler will find a, you know, a good microbrewery somewhere soon and you know, catch up in person. But we've really enjoyed having you on the podcast here. Uh, for everyone tuning in, this has been the Content Pros Podcast. We're part of the Convince and Convert network of podcasts. And uh, just a reminder that if you're trying to up your game as a content marketer, that Convince and Convert is currently running the contentmarketingclass.com. At contentmarketingclass.com is, is the domain, rather. And that's run by Jay Baer, who's you know really helping marketers as a whole think of how to leverage content in many of the ways that Matt taught us today. You know, how do we use it? throughout that entire buyer journey and think of content as a way to truly interact with our audiences. So Matt, thank you. And on behalf of Tyler at Vidyard, I'm Randy at Uberflip, and this has been Content Pros Podcast. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.